Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Why do I always forget our... um? What is our damn um, opening? Hey, hey, no, that's Tiffany. <laughs> yo, I always forget. Yo, my memory is like, yo, okay, wait. Hey, wait. Oh, yeah, okay. Hey, hey, hey. We're back. We're black. We're extra brown today in the studio. <laughs> ambition, 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 ambition. We're back in the studio. Well, the stew. Mandy's still out with the baby, but we have some extra brown in the studio today. Actually, one of the first brown people that I've ever seen in personal finance. I remember I was like, a fan, a fan. Um, wow. Far news to Robbie's in the studio. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I am beyond honored, Tiff. Do you know, do you remember when we first met? I do, girl, because I was sweating you so hard. I was oh like, I was, I was like, you were over our bread and butter. We were eating like bread and butter, ice ice water. It was at some dinner at FinCon. Yes. And we had just luck would have it. We were seated next to each other. Yeah. And I was just blown away by you because you were like, I'm a preschool teacher right now, but wait, wait, world. <laughs> I have a plan. I'm going to help millions of women get out of debt, make money, get rich. I was like, Wow. <laughs> but I remember it was funny because like, I remember it was like, I'm not gonna say her name because we cool now, but at the time I was mad at her for years for this because initially your seat was someplace else. Like you were sitting someplace else. Oh. And I wanted to sit next to you because I was like, oh my God, I want to sit at Farnoosh and talk to her at this event. But then the other person like moved my stuff and sat in the seat assuming that you were going to come back and sit in your seat. And I remember I was like, Damn. Oh my God, so much drama behind <laughs> the scenes. And I was like, no. So then I sat at the other table, like, and I was just like, Oh, I guess I will just have no. to see. The universe yes. found us. It was like, <laughs> no, that's not my plan. <laughs> and then you end up sitting next to me. And I looked at the, the lady like, eh, hey. <laughs> But no, she and I are cool now, so I wouldn't call her name out. But um, oh but I just remember, like, yes, we had like some the best tea. I know. <laughs> we had like the best conversation, and mm-hmm. you were just like so gracious. And honestly, you were just an example of like, wow, this thing can be bigger than. Well, one, mm-hmm. you can be brown in this space. You can be a woman in this space. You can be yourself in this space, and it can be bigger than you know, like. Just like what was possible. I mean, you've had your own shows, you, you know, your podcast, so money is huge. Matter of fact, some of y'all, I forgot. I'm just talking to Farnoosh like, <laughs> like, I'm like, wait, let me introduce her. Maybe we should tell everybody who the freak I, I am. I, yeah. I so I'm like, hey girl. So anyway, Farnoosh. So I'm saying it right, Tarabi, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. She's one of America's leading personal financial authorities, hooked on helping you live your richest and happiest life. She's a multi best selling financial author. Former, she's a former CNBC host and creator of the Webby nominated podcast, So Money, which I have been on. 
Mm-hmm. Many times. Has be- yeah, she has been become one of the country's favorite go-to money experts. Um, the New York Times calls her advice perfectly practical. And you already know, you know, they they be know what they're saying or whatever. <laughs> they're um, really good at alliteration, that New York Times, let me tell you. <laughs> so Farnoosh's award-winning, critically acclaimed podcast, So Money, has surpassed 25 million downloads. Thanks to its wonderful kind interviews and deep conversations about money. On the show, she spotlight she spotlights leading experts, authors, and influencers from Ariana Huffington to Margaret Cho, Queen Latifah. <gasps> you had Queen Latifah on? I love her. Mm-hmm. And Tim Gunn and me about their financial perspectives, money failures, and habits. She also answers listeners' personal financial questions each week. And she has a new book coming out called A Healthy State of Panic which if you could have seen us before we got on, we were both running a little raggedy <laughs> and crazy. And so um, welcome to the podcast, Farnoosh. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tiffany. What a full circle moment for me. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just excited to be sharing uh, the stage with you, the spotlight with you. It's been amazing watching you um, help so many people make such differences in people's lives. And thank you so much for endorsing a healthy state of panic one of the first to get their hands on it and mm-hmm. say, yes, yes, world, let's let's read this. But you know how hard it is to sell a book? You know, I got to... <laughs> you and Margaret Cho and Kelly Ripa and um, Maz Jabrani, for those of you who don't know, he's an Iranian comedian and actor. Um, I was blessed to have this, this sort of early praise for the book and just excited to share it with your audience now. Yeah, well, if you can't tell, like, Farnoosh is not just, like, this dope, badass financial educator. She's my friend, friend. We're actually at dinner. Mm-hmm. Like, what's that dinner? No, that was lunch <laughs> at that, like, far. What was that place Faubourg. called? Faubourg. Fa- Faubourg. Well, um, f- my, my husband calls it FUBU. Um, <laughs> you know, that's not. It's like FUBU. F- um, I studied French, too. I should know this. <laughs> Um, it's got a lot more letters than what it sounds like, but it's a lovely, amazing, my favorite restaurant in Montclair. Um, yes. You know, they tried to open up during the pandemic and they they couldn't. And now it's just like blowing up and it's it's wonderful. We went there, yeah. you and I. Yeah, it was like so yummy. Um, and so, yeah, I, so first, Cheryl, how did you get into this space? Like, you know, was it Because, you know, like I said, I was a preschool teacher, but how did you get into the personal Mm. finance space? Well, two things I think were the tailwinds. Um, I will start with the earlier, uh, I think, piece of the story, which is that I'm the daughter of immigrants from Iran. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I don't care where your parents are from. If you're a daughter or a son of immigrants in America, you're going to be somebody. Mm -hmm. Like, it's inevitable. Something will happen. (laughs) You will make it happen. I think that... um, one one thing that was culturally unique for us in our home was that we talked about money a lot, mm-hmm. the good and the bad. As I write in my book, A Healthy State of Panic, like the fear of money was instilled in me early and learning to have a relationship with money was instilled in me early. So when I think about when I get afraid of money, what does it sound like? What does it taste like? What does it smell mm-hmm. like? It's like fists banging on a laminate kitchen table because my parents argued about money a lot. Mm. Also though, they laughed about money and they enjoyed money and they worked hard for their money. So I got to see all these dimensions around money, but I will be dishonest if I said that 
this relationship that I have with money isn't sometimes fear-based, but it's good because it's helped me really figure out what my money narrative is, what I want in my financial relationship. It's it's helped me recognize some of the myths that I've held on to about money and those myths that have gotten in my way sometimes in the early stages. So I credit my upbringing for giving me really a mature relationship and an emotional relationship with money that I don't think anybody really gets growing up, let alone the literacy, but the yeah. actual having that, that, that emotional strength around money. And then, you know, fast forward, I studied finance in college. I went to journalism school, got my master's in journalism and, and very early on knew that I was interested in telling financial stories. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't interested in doing Excel spreadsheet work. Like I didn't want to go work for a bank, which is what a lot of my classmates did you know, with a finance degree, that's a natural progression. Mm -hmm. But I was the crazy one who was like, I want to make a lot less money <laughs> and I want to write articles <laughs> and tell stories about money. But I think my sense of business and sales spirit that I got in college and working a lot um, carried with me into the work of journalism, which they don't teach you in journalism schools, like how to be entrepreneurial in this space, how to really have ownership in your with your content, at least not when I was starting out. And um, so fast forward, I mean, it's, I guess it's no coincidence that I am where I am, but it's not like I grew up going, oh, can't wait to one day have a financial podcast. You know, that's not really what a four-year-old goes around thinking, but I knew that I wanted to be in service. I knew that I wanted to help people. And I knew that um, I wasn't uncomfortable about money, around money. I didn't think that was taboo. And I knew that was special. So I ran with it. No, I love that. And so, I mean, you made this transition to like being visible. Like, was that really mm -hmm. weird? Because there were like very few women, let alone women of color, you know, mm -hmm. who were like visible on TV. I remember you had, I remember vaguely, like, I think, I don't know if you're, you had a show, you had like a couple of shows, but I remember one, like the, the set was like red. Was that, was that called So Money? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But then you had this other show where you were like interviewing like billionaires, like on oh. like private jets. Like you yeah. had so many different lives in this personal finance. Oh my gosh. <laughs> people, you know, and it's funny, people be like, oh my God, you have a podcast. That's amazing. I'm like, I have been around so long. Like you don't even know the rest of it. That's good, I guess. I guess I've been using some good skincare all these years and I stay out of the sun. But like, I mean, I, was, I remember being at a press conference for that show that you're referring to it was for CNBC called... Um, follow the leader. It was yes. such an incredible opportunity. It was, yes. I've had a lot of these one hit wonders in the television <laughs> world. You know, it's like before streaming, before, um, before even really like the social media world took off and you could have your own show on your own TikTok or Instagram. Like you had the, the powers that be were the studios and the networks mm -hmm. and these like, you know, you really, it was really hard to make a show fly. And so I got this opportunity with CNBC to follow billionaires and mega CEOs who were like CEOs slash rock stars, you know, and just be flies on the wall, be a fly on the wall, get to learn, you know, what, um, what was the secret to their success. And it was very exciting. I got to go on f lots of private planes and eat like a lot of fancy food. And <laughs> it was, it was one for the books, but we didn't get renewed. But I remember going to the press conference for that show and a journalist stood up and he said, I remember you when you were like, you know, you were like writing for AM New York, <laughs> which which audience that is a free subway newspaper that is distributed widely in New York City. 
and I had a byline. I mean, I get more recognition from that sometimes than anything because I had my picture and my byline. And when you're on the subway and you're reading a, you know, it's like a captive audience. Um, I remember going to a Banana Republic and showing my ID, and the woman was like, "Are you the Farnish Trabi that writes for AM New York?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, I've, I also have a book." Um, <laughs> which clearly you have not read, but uh, yes, that is me. Now, can I get the discount? You know, <laughs> does this entitle me to some sort of discount? <laughs> um, yeah, but I have, I've done, I've had a, 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 the privilege of having so many different experiences. And I think I, I really went after that. You know, I want, I'm, I get bored easily. I don't know about you. I don't think I have ADHD. My son does. And I've talked about that a lot. They say it runs in the family. Who mm. knows? Maybe I have it and I have never been tested, but I'm just somebody who gets, I don't idle well. Mm. I need a lot of variety. I like appetizers. I cannot commit to an entree. <laughs> Tiffany, I need like three appetizers. Can I have some of yours? You know, and so this idea that I was going to pursue journalism and just be a writer or just be a radio host or just do uh, television frightened me. Mm. Speaking of panic and f healthy fear. And I think it led me to try to design a life and a career that allowed me to try and do a lot of things. And not everything mm. sticks, but at least you have fun trying. I was going to ask you, is that how you got to your book? Like, cause what, first of all, what number book are you on now? Four. Wow. So is that how you got to this book, Healthy State of Panic? Like, because you're just like, because oh. you have this super successful podcast that's doing mm -hmm. really well, so money, you know, you speak, you, I know you do like brand partnerships and then you've added this other, because I know how hard it was to write a book, yeah. then to to market it, to sell it. So is that why you've written a Healthy State of Panic? Because you're like, I have something else to say and like, I'm not quite busy enough. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. I don't, I think, so this has been nine years since I've published a book. Mm -hmm. I think because I needed the time to recover from the last book launch. <laughs> As you know, it's a lot of work. And um, I think if the genesis of this book, again, I think goes back to my upbringing as a, a, a little girl who was raised in an immigrant family, terrified. I was a terrified little girl, Tiffany. My mm -hmm. mother even will say, I did that on purpose. I raised you to be afraid on purpose because mm -hmm. let's remember my mother, she's 19 when she had me, doesn't speak okay. the language, isn't familiar with the culture, newly married, newly a parent, living in Worcester, Massachusetts, which at the time and still was, you know, known for a lot of just five o'clock news crime, you know, like mm -hmm. break-ins and theft and kidnappings. It was the eighties, right? So <laughs> she was scared and she channeled that into her daughter, me. And so I was afraid of strangers and eating other people's snacks because she told me they had poison in them. My mother was, too. Right? I was afraid of being abandoned. I was afraid of like getting lost at the mall. I was afraid <laughs> of being home alone. And so the fear wasn't always a friend. Like it mm -hmm. got me into a lot of comical mischief and, you know, things backfired. But I will say that I had an early kind of developmental relationship with fear. And it mm. transpired to the point where even as I was a young adult, I don't wouldn't say that I had mastered my fears. I was still like letting fear as it does take me for a ride. And I was allowing it to block me from opportunities and realizing my real potential. So I had to like a lot of young adults sort of like retrain and reparent yourself, but, mm -hmm. but not abandoning the fear saying, okay, fear keeps showing up. <laughs> I cannot be this fearless person. So maybe there is a way to work with fear, to listen to fear, to appreciate fear, to honor fear, 
to mm-hmm. then be able to make the decisions that matter at, at life's crossroads. And I, I wanted to write a book like with all of my books, I feel like I want to say something that's new, yes. that's different, that's also capturing the zeitgeist. Like my last book was about female breadwinners and mm-hmm. what happens when you make more in your hetero relationship as a woman. And that was very taboo back then. We talk about it now, but it was like really, really under wraps in, two, in the early 2000s. And mm-hmm. I was living that reality. And I was like, this is a great book topic because when nobody wants to talk about something, that's when you know you have a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward, I was like, okay, right now in, in our world, we're dealing with still a lot of big financial conundrums, but also at the intersection of mental health and mental wellness. And year after year, day after day, there's like all these books about being fearless. And I felt like we were not appreciating fear in our culture in the way that mm-hmm. I have, that I've learned to really... Um, embrace. And so A Healthy State of Panic is a book that's going to help anybody out there like me who has gone through life realizing that fear just doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. This idea of being fearless, that is not working. Yeah. Um, so my offer is what if we actually, when fear shows up, we look at it. We okay. ask it questions. We say, okay, why are you here? Sometimes fear is there to help us. It doesn't want to derail us. We allow it. But I think that we can have agency here now that we're adults mm-hmm. and we can say, okay, fear, what you got for me? And I have done this over and over again in my life, whether it's when making big high stakes financial decisions, career choices, decisions about who to marry, who to not marry, mm-hmm. raising my kids, being good to myself. I think that fear, when we listen to it, like all emotions, all emotions are valid. Fear mm-hmm. too. Um, there was actually a study this year because they probably knew I had a book coming out, but <laughs> a bunch of scientists got together and they were like, you know what? Um, they looked at all these sort of like bad emotions that we have branded bad. They're not really bad, but we just as a culture have decided that things like fear, sadness, and anger, we don't want anything to do with them. Happiness, joy, laughter, mm-hmm. let's all focus on that. But those feelings, those that we have branded bad. So they did a study and they said that those, they found that those who perceive actually fear and anger and sadness as bad or problematic are unhappier than those of us who accept these emotions, even just as neutral. Mm -hmm. And I would go a step further and say, no, these these emotions actually have wisdom Mm -hmm. and we should listen to them and honor them because when we do, we are honoring ourselves. Fear for me is very personal. For you, Tiffany, it's different. When it shows up, it's for different reasons. And so wouldn't you want to explore that? I just feel like when we get closer to how we feel, we get closer to who we are and what our values are. And that's the offering in this book. It's it's looking at money and and work and all these really big, big, big moves that we make in our lives through the lens of your fears. Mm. And, you know, I think um, it can be funny sometimes, I hope. I don't want this to be a serious book, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not, it's not meant to... Um, be too, 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 too serious. I want people to be, I want it to be approachable because a book about fear can be scary. Overwhelming, yes. Overwhelming. (laughs) Yeah, these big, like, because you're right, like, you know, like even in grief, this is one thing I learned from my um, my therapist. She was like, grief, even with grief, it brings gifts. She calls them like the gifts of grief. Yes. You know, so much clarity, just like, you know, like, is that what I really want to do? Is this, you know, is this direction I want to go to? Same thing with fear, right? Because fear is an indicator like, wait, this is like your something internally is saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Yeah. You know, like if I'm feeling this way, maybe 
you know, that's actually, it's because that I don't want to become, like I remember after graduate, I was going to graduate college and I was really afraid of graduating college. It's because what I had lined up, this boring, I had done this internship, which was so boring and they'd offer me a job. And I was like, okay, even though I hated the internship, I used to cry every day. So I was afraid to graduate. And because I dove into that fear, what I was really saying was, I don't want the life I've got lined up because I don't want to work there, but I yes. know that my parents would be like, oh, that's so good, you know? Mm. And I just remember like, I quietly, you know, declined and decided I accepted a job at a local daycare center. And I did not tell my parents because it was like telling them I've decided to become a drug dealer. Um, <laughs> especially with immigrant parents are like, we didn't work so hard for you too. <laughs> yes. Oh my so, God. Like, I can see, I can see how fear really, it's like a, it's a mechanism that you can use to say, wait, what, what am I actually really saying? Yes. You know, like, and, so, yeah, and I, I think that. with your story, Tiffany, I think what you are, what I try to do in the book is try to distill the fear even further. So there's mm. nine chapters and each chapter is dedicated to a kind of fear. Because okay. what we typically, what we tend to do in our culture is we're like fear, four letter word, monolith. Fear has many brands and flavors. Fear of failure is I think what you are probably yes. experiencing in that moment, this idea that you're going to take on this opportunity. And although all the, the, you know, everybody was excited for you, but like you personally were not going to feel successful in that. And um, and so fear of failure is one of the chapters. It's one of the biggest chapters because I got a lot of stories about my fears of failure, but there is wisdom every time fa failure, fear of failure shows up. It could be telling you multiple things. And I think in that instance, you were right to sort of listen to that fear. It was telling you that you want to move towards a new definition of success. Yes. So that's an opportunity that yes. had you not experienced that fear, had you not said like, hey, fear, what's Girl, up? Girl, I'll be working in a cubicle right now talking about listening to so many in a cubicle. Like, I wish that and what a be. shame for all of us. <laughs> what a shame for all of humanity if that was your if that was your your plight. So I I journey through the book. There's nine chapters, nine different fears, starting with the ones that we tend to develop early on in our lives. Mm -hmm. Fear of rejection and fear mm -hmm. of loneliness because who hasn't been rejected and who hasn't yeah. felt lonely? And then it goes into FOMO because mm. is it is a 21st century book and yeah. the fear of missing out mm -hmm. on other people's fun. What is that actually telling you to do? Lots of stuff. The fear of exposure. I kind of made mm. this one up, but I'm sticking with it. So there is a big push in our culture to be vulnerable, yeah. which I can appreciate. I have gone there. I've gone to the depths with certain audiences, certain mm -hmm. people. I've shown my true self when it felt right. But I think there is a um, a push to be vulnerable all the time. And some yes. people don't know the boundaries and then yes. they get in trouble. They, they share uh, all the things. And you're they like, share oh, too, girl, like they it's overshare. not giving what you thought it was given. <laughs> That's not the flexes that you thought no. it was. <laughs> I mean, it may sound to us like, because maybe we've, we've experienced it and we're like, yeah, you don't do that. <laughs> but for person reading the book who might be in her early 20s or his yes. early 20s and they're like, but I thought I was supposed to bring my whole self to work. Mm -hmm. I thought I was supposed to tell everybody all the things. I was supposed to speak up all the time. Well, in theory, that would be great, but we don't mm -hmm. live in a euphoria like that. Like the world is not always so forgiving of people that have different opinions or different backgrounds. And not to say that you have to hide that or lie about that, but mm -hmm. I think this chapter is really about how to be discerning 
Okay. When fear of exposure, which means like you're afraid of like someone finding out something personal about you mm-hmm. that is sacred. Like, I don't think that everyone needs to know everything about me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like I share that with certain people, yeah. but not everybody. And so how to read the room when that fear shows up, it's telling you to read the room. Case in point, I was at FinCon and I was on stage with a bunch of, uh, with a, a, it was a panel on how to negotiate and earn your value as a creator and entrepreneur in personal finance. And touche that this person asked this question because it was about negotiating and earning your value. And she said, mm-hmm. got up in the audience full of people, I don't know, raised her hand and said, Farnoosh, how much money do you make? Like, actually. <laughs> And they're like, girl, I'm not trying to get robbed on the way home. <laughs> well, I mean, thank you for thinking I make that much money. But I, I was just like, I was like, I appreciate the question. But in this forum, in this moment, not appropriate for me. Some yeah. people may be willing to go there. But that fear of exposure crawled up in yes. that moment and like showed up and like was staring at me in the face. Like, you really want to go there, Farnoosh, with all these strangers? You want to tell these people what's on your W-2? <laughs> And I'll tell you why I was afraid. It wasn't because uh, I was afraid of maybe what people might think. I don't even know what people might think. But I'll tell you what my personal fears there were telling me. It was that you don't know who's in the room. Mm. You don't know who's in the room. I would love to think that everybody in this room is like an advocate and supports me and would be like, yeah, "Yeah, you should earn that and then some. Mm -hmm. But I know because I've lived my life and I have experience in this, that when people sometimes find out how much you make, they judge you for that in ways that I don't want the distraction and I don't also want to get penalized. So there was a story that uh, before this happened, I'd experienced something that was completely, complete BS, but I was negotiating a deal with a brand. This Mm -hmm. was round two of the negotiations. We had already worked together. I had delivered on all, on all, uh, on all points and they were coming back to do another term. So I obviously asked for more money and I was negotiating this through my agent, but my agent came back to me and he said, you'll never believe what they just said. I said, what did they say? I know I was asking for more, but I wasn't asking for, you know, crazy amounts. It was, it was, it would have been a lot for me, but not a lot for them. Also considering Mm -hmm. that they were getting a lot of value. He said, the woman who's their rep, the, the brand rep, said, doesn't Farnoosh already make enough? <gasps> oh, yes, he. So this is going on in the world, Tiffany, right? And this is a, a woman. woman. A woman. Wow. So I said to my agent, please go back with the following transcript. Are you sure you want to go on the record for saying that to a woman? And I got my, long story short, I got my money. <laughs> Wait, 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 Farnoosh, give me one second. We need to pay some bills. We're going to be right back. After we pay some bills, you can hear more about Farnoosh and how to lean into fear. We'll be right back. Black and brown. Hey, BA fam. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. 
Insure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. All right, BA fam, y'all know when it comes to financial advice, you have to trust your source. That's why you listen to Brown Ambition, right? And when I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. I've been a longtime fan of Nerd Wallet. In fact, I almost worked there a couple of times because when it comes to financial experts and writing, they really know how to give you the best reviews of financial products. I honestly wouldn't sign up for a credit card today if I hadn't looked at a review on a site like Nerd Wallet myself. And honestly, if y'all haven't learned about Nerd Wallet, you're missing out. And with their help, what could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access, wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. All right, BA fam, you know we work hard and we play hard, but when it comes to investing and having your money in the market, you want your money to be working for you. That's exactly what the Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app can help it do. Keeps your money out there working hard and kicking you know what. I love Betterment because it makes it easy for even a beginning investor to figure out how to put their money in the market and set it and forget it and be at peace with that because you know Betterment has got you covered with their automated investment and savings app. Their technology is going to give you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize those returns. All you got to do is visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Security. Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Hey, debit card users, listen up. Discover has something especially for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can start earning cash back on everyday debit card purchases. You heard that right. Cash back on debit purchases because cash back isn't just for credit cards. It's time you also get some love. Oh, And I should also mention that this has no fees, period. Finally, the game-changing checking account you deserve. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank member FDIC. And we're back. Frontis, what were you saying again? My point is, is that there's a reason employers are not allowed to ask you how much did you make in your previous job, okay? So if you can accept that that is cool, like that, I get that, I get why I shouldn't be cornered during a job interview to give somebody my salary history because it can be used against me. Same goes when you're an entrepreneur working in a field where, you know, there, there are people unfortunately out there that devalue you and will use what you make as a weapon against you. Mm. Now. Having said all that, back to that FinCon moment on stage, this woman's asking me how much I make. Mm-hmm. I said, look, I will happily have this conversation with you one-on-one. Yes. And I said, anybody else in this room who wants to talk about you know, negotiating d- brand contracts and all that, like, I'll be at the Starbucks downstairs. 
And a table of seven or eight of us got together and we talked and we are still in touch. Mm -hmm. So I think that when the fear of exposure shows up, and this is like a real important chapter in the book, especially now because it may not seem like it has anything to do with money or work, but it shows up in these contexts, right? That you should take a beat and it doesn't mean you run away or you hide. Like sometimes we think fear is nudging us to do. No, Mm -hmm. it's just saying, read the room. Figure out if you reveal this piece of information about yourself, like, is the audience going to be receptive? Mm-hmm. Does it deserve to know your goods? Not every audience deserves to know all the special things about you, um, at least not right away or in certain contexts. Like, mm-hmm. find your own time, find your own place, find your own people. So, you're saying that one of the things I hear you saying is that fear helps to create like an internal awareness. Yes. It's all about that. It's Mm -hmm. all about turning you inward, Mm -hmm. Tiffany. And I think in a world where there are a lot of distractions and there's a lot of push-pull and you're being driven in a million directions and you're looking at someone's Instagram or you're looking at, you know, what your parents thought you wanted, should do, could do, and we forget to just quiet all of that and think about what it is that we want. Mm -hmm. Who am I at the end of the day? And fear is like this icebreaker that 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 gets us to do that that wants us to do that ultimately. I mean, look, if if not for fear, you and I would not be here. Yeah. So true. why is our culture so anti-fear? Why are we so like, "Oh my god, you need to be fearless. You got to ignore your fears, fight your fears." Poor fear. Poor old fear, you know, like it's just trying to help fear. us out. You're a fear. I feel like you are fear's new PR agent. You're like, you I just mean, need a little PR. I mean, that's the first page <laughs> in the book. It's my, it's my first line in the intro. I said, uh, you know, fear has had some really bad PR <laughs> for as long as I can remember since the days of the Great Depression when <laughs> President Roosevelt told a sea of hungry, penniless Americans during the Great Depression. Mm. That you have nothing to fear but fear itself? Mm. What kind of a privileged statement is that? I'm, <laughs> I am hungry, Mr. President. I am a, t- I'm afraid mm-hmm. that I will not find work. And you know what? In every moment in my life where I have been afraid, I have found opportunity. Yeah. I have gotten creative. Yes. I was gonna say, like, what are some of the benefits that you have found? Like, I would love for you to share. Like, yeah, like, oh my gosh. Like, you know, you don't have to necessarily share what you were afraid of if you're not comfortable, but like on the other side of that, what are some of those, oh, thank God for that fear of that moment? Because as a result, this thing came out of it. I developed Yeah. Every chapter. There are so many stories, Tiffany. Oh my gosh. What would you like to know about? I mean, (laughs) uh, I mean, it's cliche, but like moving in the pandemic, right? Mm. I was afraid of staying where I was with my family of four in in Brooklyn in our small apartment that, Mm. um, we were already planning to move to mm-hmm. the suburbs, but the pandemic as a tailwind, it like got us out of that city real fast. And it was one of those moments where I thought I'm either making the best decision or the worst decision, but I was afraid and I was mm-hmm. gonna, I had to move. I had to do something. What made that decision viable, even if, so I was ready for it to blow up in my face. I was, I'm always ready for, I always have a plan B, C or D. My son is, <laughs> my son is nine and uh, he knows, like, I'm like, okay, my job as a parent is done. Cause I'll say, what if they don't have the thing that you want at the store? What's your plan B? He goes, mom, that. mommy, I have a plan C and a D. <laughs> oh, <Okay. I> <laughs> 
smart though because you gotta spaz the hell out like where is my power ranger right i was like what if they don't have sonic and they don't have teenage mutant ninja turtles and you're gonna have to get like pokemon which was like last season's obsession and so i think that that's teaching them that life won't go your way yeah usually it won't and not only and i love my plan b's and c's and d's i think they're equally as great as plan a you got to get yourself there and rallying behind those alternate plans because that's how you get through life feeling good and happy, you know? And so that was one reason, that was one obvious like fear driven. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about how, oh my gosh, we were about to embark on a, a big renovation project in Brooklyn. We okay. were going to, we were combining apartments mm. and we were going to have to move out, our, out of our apartment for four months to do this. And I had a, baby at the time. I didn't have my second yet. I was just, Evan was, I think, I don't know, six months, seven mm -hmm. months. And um, the night before we're about to like do this and I've got movers coming to take my stuff into storage. I've signed the sublet to go basically uproot my family to another, to Williamsburg, which mm. is like, you know, for Brooklyn, people in Brooklyn, I was going from like downtown Brooklyn to Williamsburg is basically like banning myself from the world. And <laughs> oh my god! New York people are so dramatic when it comes to their their, their areas. We're such snobs. We're such like you know micro cities. Yes. You know, so um, the the contractor that we had hired, who was recommended by an architect, whom we we had met several times, lovely man, we're about to meet for our final budget meeting to go over the budget, mm -hmm. and he comes into my apartment. I swear, to, I kid you not, Tiffany. He was like Tiffany. He was like sideways. He was like he was like that that um like that slim what is that uh, V eight commercial where they come really? in like sideways. I was, was like, is he drunk? He was holding it together, and he wasn't like <laughs> falling over himself, but he mm -hmm. was like a different person. He was mm. loud. He was snippety. He insulted me at one point. He, I said, I said, um, I want to just talk about the flooring because the flooring was really expensive. I was like, can we shop this around? And he goes, I thought you like nice things. Oh. And I was like, oh, okay. Like it suddenly got really hostile in the room. <laughs> and like my architect, I'm looking at her like, do you, are you watching this movie? Like, I don't know what's going on. Like this is the part of nice architect, nice contractor is now by like belligerent. I don't know what's going on, man. It's his, you know how like when they watch it, when you do a play and it's like, who is that? Like your, your, um, like if you can't do the play, like let's just the say. The understudy? Yes. Yeah, the understudy. <laughs> yeah. He was totally the understudy. And I was like. I don't know what his deal is. And um, also I was like, all right, let's look at the budget. And he didn't bring the budget to the budget meeting. Wow. So I said, you know what? Let's just wrap. We'll convene in the morning. But between you and me, like I needed to know what was going on. I had to get to the bottom of this guy. So I just pulled my architect aside. I said, can you please follow up with him and find out what is going on? And so she called him that night. And at first he denied everything. He's like, oh, I thought the meeting went great. <laughs> She's like, you clearly weren't there. Like what was going on? Mm -hmm. And then after a little bit of, you know, here and there, he said, well, actually, I, my cousins were in town. We went out for some beers and then mm -hmm. I took my back pain medicine. And then he thought it was a good idea to come to a meeting. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't fault him for that like taking his medicine with his beers four hours apart, but whatever, like do that in your home. Yeah. Don't come to a meeting at someone's house and then pretend like everything is okay. Yeah. If he had just canceled that meeting, he would have 
been fine. He would have been covered. And because here's what happened. When I found out that he did that to us and thought it was cool, and he's the contractor. He's not like, he's not the mailman. You know, he's dealing with heavy machinery. Yeah. And he's dealing with a team and New York City laws. And I said, I cannot hire him. And this was, this Mm -hmm. specific fear that I had was the fear of failure. Um, I I feared that if I hired him, the project would fail because he would show up again. I I couldn't trust him. And there's a whole section in that chapter about red flags. (laughs) I love red flags. Red flags are your friends. When people show up as they are in their truth, believe them. Yeah. You know, and I just felt like, I was going to I was afraid that if I fired him that I was going to lose out on all this money. I was not I was supposed to move into a sublet. Like how could I do this? I should just people wanted me to turn a cheek. My architect even was like, I've never seen him like this. I don't think it's going to happen again, but I was like, I just here's what you ask yourself. If in a year or 3 months mm. something blows up and it's 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 him doing his thing again, yeah. who would you just be like, "Oh, I didn't see that coming?" Cuz you did. Cuz I did. Mm-hmm. And it was not a small thing. Yeah, no, These it's were, not. It was a huge six-figure project. People were involved. Lives were involved. The law was involved. And I just couldn't, no. So I did bite the bullet. I mean, I I, I cut losses there. I, I moved into a sublet that I didn't need to for the first month. I had to somehow scramble to find a new contractor. I had things in storage that I didn't need to. So I had spent all this money that was just sunk cost to that point. But I knew that the, there was a bigger fear waiting yes. for me, a bigger disaster waiting for me. And that's really what a lot of times it comes down to when you feel fear and yeah. you're thinking, do I do something? Do I not? Here's what I want to offer you. Think about if you don't do anything with this fear. If this fear does what it sometimes does to us when we're not really really being thoughtful or calculating, which is like mm-hmm. it stops us in our tracks, like it mm-hmm. freezes us. You don't want that because think about in a year or down the yeah. road, you ignored this. You didn't do anything. You thought yeah. you were going to be fearless. Something else bigger happens. That's scarier. Yeah. It, honestly, and this just really resonates with me, especially over the last two years. I remember like, so like I didn't give her, I have my stepdaughter, Alyssa, who's awesome, who for the first time today, she sent me like this gif that said, I love you. And I was like, oh, I mean, she's a teenager. So that's but like that's getting so sweet. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I was like, what? I mean, I always yeah. tell her I love her. Like I drop her off at school. I love you. You know, I get up. So I love you. And she always responds. But this is like the first unprompted, like. Not I love you. So these Jordans, I really like, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not a tee up to anything. Right? It was just so super sweet. But like, I remember, like, I was never really sure. I mean, if you guys listen to the podcast for a while, like, I'm like, I mean, I love kids. Like, I taught preschool because I love kids. But I was never 100,000%. Like, I definitely want to be a mom. But I remember that I had this fear that if I didn't try, I would live to regret it. Mm-hmm. I knew that for sure. I was like... And it was like, and I knew Jarrell is, was like, like an amazing dad. So I was like, you know, worst case scenario, this kid got an awesome dad. <laughs> right. Like just in case I don't work out. And so, <laughs> but I just remember distinctly thinking, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I want to be a mom. I'm not sure, but I know a hundred percent that if I don't try, I'm going to regret mm-hmm. it. Cause there was this fear that was like pulsing. And so I wasn't able to conceive naturally. I did IVF for like three years and it didn't work out. Actually we did our last implementation like with the um, embryo, like the in October and Jarrell passed away in November. Mm-hmm. 
But because I did those three years, because I asked my therapist, I said, of all the things I'm going through with grief, why is it I don't feel bad that I didn't give birth to any kids? She said, because you did everything possible. Yes. And to your point, I... Of all the other emotions I have to deal with, that's not one of them because that fear made me take action. And because mm-hmm. I did everything. I remember at the time, my IVF doctor was like, Tiffany, you're like my best patient. You're here every single week. You've taken all the meds. You haven't skipped. You've done everything. I even went vegan for like almost like a year and a half because I wasn't sure, like, like anything possible to make sure that I could be prepared. So it took that. I, you know, so many people, when someone passes away, live with regret, you know, and that wasn't something that wasn't a regret, which would have been a heavy one. Cause what if I had let the budget needs to get in the way? You know, I was a workaholic. What if I had let that? Cause it was, I was this close to being like later, 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 then I would be sitting here with so much regret. Like, why didn't I try? What was more important than try, you know, but I don't have that because I did. And so to your point, that is a, that was a beautiful fear that allowed me mm-hmm. to do something that now I can like rest easy when it comes to that component mm-hmm. of my life because I did all that I was capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And if it was supposed to happen, it wasn't because I didn't do all that I was capable. So I can let that let that go. So I'm grateful. And there's so many instances of that, you know, for me, like grateful for that fear. So I'm super excited to to read your book because to your point, you know, I think so many of us are taught to lean back from fear. And yeah. what, it, what it sounds like is that your book really teaches us to lean into it and use it as the tool that it was intended. I know, and it's available to all of us. Mm-hmm. We are all experts. I mean, if we were going by Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule, we yeah. are bona fide fear <laughs> experts. Just add it to your LinkedIn profile, just do it. You are there, my friends. I mean, thinking about this world that we live in and how so many resources are inaccessible, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's just not equity when it comes to the availability of tools and resources to help us navigate life. Fear is abundant. It mm-hmm. is a it is a natural resource. And what a gift if we just allow it to be mm-hmm. that. If we just allow it, if we, it's just a reframe. It's a simple reframe. And to your story about, you know, doing all the things you can do, that taking control of what is an, a, a, a completely uncertain moment. I mean, anyone trying to get pregnant you know, you just have to like cross your fingers. It's just, you know, you think you have so much Mm -hmm. of a role in that. But I think what I'm hearing from you in that story is that you had this fear of uncertainty and you decided to Mm -hmm. create um, order in the disorder. And your best way of doing that was to do what you could do. What can you control? And that's often what the fear of uncertainty is nudging us towards. It's not asking us to spiral. It's not telling us to chase our tails. It's not telling us to bury ourselves in uncertainty or not make a decision. It's saying, what do you have at your disposal? Mm -hmm. What are the resources that you have where you can feel empowered and in control? And and it still may not work out, Mm -hmm. but to your point, at least you can say, I did everything I could. Exactly. And that's that's really what I realized I was asking of myself, like, because I'm like, I can't. So there are more people who have not been born than born. You know, we realize that when you really try to have a baby, especially if you go through like the scientific component of it, you start to realize what a miracle it is that uh-huh. you're sitting here. Because like if your mom would have coughed instead of sneezed, if she would have had a coffee instead of tea, you know, like anything, literally, like if your dad had a unibrow and your mom was like, mm, not really into unibrows, you literally might not be here, you know? Right. And so it's such a miracle. So you realize like, I knew that, but. Yeah, I just think I love this. I can't wait, honestly, for it to like 
Like, um, I know you gave me the gallery. Change the world. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, I really, I'm someone, honestly, I love, like, these days I love to have my physical book, but I can't wait. Are you reading the audiobook version? Oh, yes. I just finished recording it. And um, one of the ways we wanted to make it extra special was to incorporate actual audio of people that I have interviewed from the podcast that Mm. I have excerpted. So you get to hear their voices. You also hear me impersonating my parents, like your beautiful Nigerian <laughs> accent from your parents. I have the Persian mom and the Persian dad. And it's just fun. You know, I, I, um, I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to be revolutionizing anything here, but I just hope that people will give themselves more credit yeah. and give their feelings more credit and um, to know that we're all scared all the time. Mm-hmm. You can be scared and successful. You can be mm-hmm. afraid and fulfilled mm-hmm. that they're not they don't cancel each other out. Yeah. And that, you know, I'm living proof of that. And I'm I am continuously terrified. Like there was a man taking photos of my house from his car the other day. Oh Wasn't God. the other day. It was during the pandemic. So even scarier. And I was like, oh my God, he's totally plotting a home invasion. <laughs> like he is figuring out my routine. <laughs> He was a home appraiser, Tiffany. I knew he was going to say that. He probably was a home appraiser. Like, I was like, oh, that makes sense. All the houses are selling on our block. It's the pandemic. That's what he's doing. Yes. Because um, no no actual home invader is going to be that out and Obviously. about. Right? <laughs> like, so, but that's me. You know, I'm still that terrified little girl inside, but I have just learned how to like play with it in a way that um, works for me instead of the other way around. Because I know fear does have that ability to mm-hmm. run us rampant and make us um, d- doubt ourselves and mm-hmm. feel stuck and insecure. Uh, this is not what I'm saying. I'm saying can, fear can do all of those things, but, and it can also be a tool and it's our choice to decide what we're going to do with it. Well, where can people get your book, A Healthy State of Panic? All your favorite ind- independent booksellers. I, I want to lead with that. I want to support our independence, um, but also... If you can't, if you don't have access to an indie online, everywhere you'd like to shop, you know, and if we're airing this before the pub date, which is October 3rd, you can go to a healthy state of panic.com mm. and uh, submit your receipt and you'll get my free program. It's called Scared Smart and oh. it's a three video course workbook plus the introduction. I figured why wait till October 3rd to get a handle on your financial fears? Um, so that's what that program walks you walks you through. And um, it's my thank you to those who want to support the pre-sales. I love it. So a healthy com will list all the places that pre- people can purchase. You can purchase it there. Yeah. Through there. And then um, that's also where you can submit for the bonuses. I love that. And first of all, did you hear what she said? She didn't say go to farnoosetorabi.com forward slash 229111. Like some of y'all, I've been talking to them all the time. I'm like, oh my goodness. If you don't go and pay the $2 and the $10 for the URL. Like, yeah, just do it. Yes, because you know you get it for ten bucks, and then even if like let's just say a healthy state of panic, which I can't believe you got. That's such an awesome name that it was available, right? But let's just say that wasn't available. You could buy a healthy state of panic book. Like this is yeah. just like me like telling everything like, with know, a book. Sure. You know, like, but like you can put book after, before, whatever. But I just, I'm, they know I'm always getting on them that like when you're going to do a thing, it's literally 10 bucks. Buy the daggone URL so people don't have to try to figure out like, wait, ooh, ah, 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 you know, 
And so, yes, I love that. A healthy I state mean, of panic. Do you ever get emails from like GoDaddy or whoever that's like, your your URLs are about to expire. And it's like the ones that I bought in like 2008 that I had an idea in the middle of the yes, night and I just me. went and bought the... And I was like, what was I even thinking? What is this site? You know? No, I have one that's like, what was it? It's like responsibility, T-E-E for like T-shirt. Because I was like, ooh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do T-shirts that have like these responsible messages, girl. I was like, that was $10 not well spent. But either way, I got it. And so. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a business expense. You can write yes. it off. Okay. <laughs> and literally it's typically the average URL, unless it's like, you know, something like super, super popular. It's about 10 bucks for the year. And you don't have to set yeah. it on automatic renewal. So I just tell people, go ahead and get it. And then if you don't use it, that's fine. But a healthy state of panic.com. And Farnoosh, yeah. where can they follow you on all the socials? Well, you mean the social? I'm really just on Instagram. I can't. I mean, I know there's threads now and of course, TikTok and what's Facebook, but Instagram is like, again, going back to my book, like the fear of exposure, like that's where my people crowd. I'm not going to be going bearing all on TikTok. You're never going to see me doing that. I've tried. It's not working. Um, the algorithm and I are just like not mixing. And, uh, so Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi, it's where I'm having a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Everyone there is very nice. And that's how I like to keep it. <laughs> yes, I love it. Farnoosh Tarabi, F-A-R-N-O-O-S-H, Tarabi, T, spell it for me. T-O-R-A-B-I. Yes. You can read it. The, it is, but you know, there was a time, many times in my life, where, did you ever want to change your name? I mean, your yes. name was Tiffany, but. Well, no, no, my name was actually Adochi. And so I did change my name in sixth grade. <laughs> so <laughs> African name, yes. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. I, my parents allowed me to change my name. I never went with it. Like I, I, I tested, I test ran some names. So I was Ashley, Christina, Tina, oh. Nikki. Ooh, it's all in Nikki though. Nikki's kind of cute. It is. And it was, I always like had a, in my mind, a girl, like I had a, a, in a vision of a girl, <laughs> obviously like, and Nikki was a real girl from my past life, past <laughs> life. Like we had moved and the girl that I knew from my old town who was like super, super cool, like just like cashmere sweaters. I mean, like this girl had her style down and the parents loved her and the kids loved her. And I was like, I'm going to meet her. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> glad you stayed for news. I mean, I yeah. will say that like I semi, I don't say I regret because, well, whatever, we're here now. But I tried to go back to Adochi <laughs> in, um, in college and I remember why I changed it because no one could say it. It used to piss me off. Um, and so like all, I can tell how well you know me by, or how long you've known me by what you call me. Like there are every once in a while I'll meet somebody from like elementary school. Like, you know, like I'll be at Marshall's and some be like, Oh my God, is that you a doji? And I'm like, wait, what? Cause I changed uh, it in sixth grade. I'm like, wait, Rose from second grade. <laughs> you know? like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah. So and when cool. I was in sixth grade, yeah, my dad was like, you guys can pick a name. And so, so Adochi is still my name. It's my middle name. Um, but yeah, I picked, well, at first I wanted, um, I think I wanted Crystal. I wanted, yeah. oh, there was something else that was like Renee, which I think I make a oh. cute Renee. That's a great name. That's a, but it was some other like nonsensical name. Like I wanted Jenny, which girl, no. <laughs> no shade to you, Jenny's, but I'm just, From I don't Tiffany know. Tiffany to Jenny, I feel like. I know, but Tiffany, I was just like, my dad's like, okay, that's a good name. So yeah, so I, yeah, my name is. I mean, like, you know, if y'all want to call me a Ducci, just say it right. Just call me Tiffany. I mean, if you want some <laughs> comedy, my brother, his name is Todd. No. What was his other name? 
was he born a Todd or did he have, does he have like yeah it's his, actually it's his middle name but okay. and his first name is Ali like literally every Middle Eastern boy oh. who's born like that's gonna be part of your name um, but he went with Todd and my parents changed their names when they became naturalized citizens my okay. dad is Adam my mom is Sheila I'm the only one who stuck with the Iranian name but I love it okay I love you it know, though because when we google you we gonna find you you know what I mean I'm yes. just glad that my last name is very unique Aliche because then mm-hmm. you know when people look me up like if my name was like you know Tiffany Smith then it doesn't like you know but if I google for Anish Tarabi it's only you well I don't know but so it's so funny I don't even know how I, f- I forgot to write about this in the book but I'll share it here it's an exclusive <laughs> The title of the book came out of a conversation with another Farnoosh. One of the few Farnooshes I have ever met in the world. She and I found each other on Facebook. (laughs) We met for a coffee. She lives in the South. I live up East. She was visiting New York. We finally met for coffee. Mm -hmm. And I said, and I actually had her on my my podcast because she is an author and has um, uh, just a great career. But I said to her, and it was on the show, I said, um, if you had, and she's Iranian, obviously, because Farnoosh is Iranian. And I said, if you had to ra- describe your childhood, the way your parents raised you, like, how would you describe it? Because mm-hmm. we were finding all sorts of commonalities, you know, because, you know, you can believe like children of immigrants, girls, Iranian. And she said, oh, it was like a healthy state of fear or something like that. Or like, it was like a healthy dose of panic or something. And it wasn't okay. exactly healthy state of panic, but I was like, I was like, Farnoosh, I'm going to steal that for like the title of my next book. Is that okay? And I actually have it recorded on my podcast. Like you can go and listen to that episode. I love that. And she said, it's yours. I said, we are so two peas in a pod. And I'm such, that. yeah, it's like so much um, reinforcement to me that another Farnoosh born on a, you know, different, different parents, different part mm-hmm. of the country, but still had that same like bit of fear born in the eighties, all of that, that that's how you would, that's how you would sum it up. Well, guess what? That's going to be my book. And she's like, I love for it. I call yeah. those God nods. You know, that's what I call oh, those. Oh, yeah. You know, but I love that. So Parnoosh Tarabi, follow her on Instagram, A Healthy State of Panic. If you want to learn how to lean into your fear and use it as a tool that it is, go to a healthystateofpanic.com. We encourage you, you know, to support small local bookstores. And yeah, Parnoosh, thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Thank you, Tiffany. Well, if you, I mean, you know, we do the BAQA. Farnoosh has agreed to come and answer your raggedy questions. No, just joking. Um, so, <laughs> so if you listen in a couple of days, BAQA will come out and Farnoosh is going to come. She is one of the top minds in personal finance. She's going to lean into some of your questions. Until next week, y'all. Bye. Bye. Hey, BA fam, we could not do this show without your support or the support of our team behind the scenes. The Brown Ambition podcast is produced by Imani Crosby and Dennis Stemplinski is our in-house tech guru. I am your co-host, Mandy Woodruff Santos, and we will see y'all next week, BA fam. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 